Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Yeah, that's right. Uh, We have a great conversation for you. Actually, um, you know, part two of a previous conversation (laughs) uh, on on All Ball. In that Brian Wardle, uh, part two, we talked about his journey from a kid growing up in the Midwest, kid growing up in Chicago, to now being the head coach. Downstate a little bit in Peoria, Illinois at Bradley University. Of course, he's the head coach at, at Green Bay. A lot to get to. Um, should we really be surprised that the Lakers can't shoot? It's just not a good roster. It's just not a good roster. But I love the fact that like we're three games in and Russell Westbrook already, already has pissed off all the Laker fans, right? Like, I do, I do I I feel bad for him on some level, right? It's your hometown. You come back, you get to play for the Lakers, you play with LeBron. LeBron kind of hand selects you and things go poorly. And now people are booing you off your own home court. But he was 0 of 11 against the Clippers. And then, you know, they're playing the Trailblazers. They're leading late. But I just, you know, like, again, I don't know what you thought you were going to get. And why? why did the Lakers go back to him? Why go back to him? You have the game one. You're playing better without him. Like this is part of what it takes to be a coach. Is you're going to have to sometimes sit a guy who makes a ton of money if it's the right thing for the team. And that's what we thought. Well, that's what people thought you were getting. Not what they've gotten so far. But and the Lakers are exactly what I think many people predicted them to be. They're somewhere mid pack, maybe a playoff team. They're zero and three right now. And this is with LeBron and Anthony Davis playing every game. The likelihood is they don't play every game. Probably both play in the 70s. God forbid they get hurt. And you take one of those two players off the game, out of the game, and it's a really bad roster. All right, let's get to part two of our discussion with Brian Wardle. Okay, so what was Todd Kowalczyk like when you get to Green Bay? Oh, super detailed, which I loved. Um, very organized. Um Staff knew the game plan for the week, the practice, um, really good offensive mind. Um, tactician when it comes to the baseline out of bounds, late game situations, uh, really good. And, and obviously Coach Green and Mike Dean were all good at that too. But Todd really, I thought, took it to another level of studying that. And great guy to work for, 
uh, still one of my best friends in the business right now at Toledo, and he's done a great job at Toledo. Um, but just learned how to really organize your program too, like how to delegate properly, how to give out responsibilities, how to be efficient. So everyone's working in a unit and working as one. And, and I learned a lot of that from Todd and have brought that into my career for sure. Get the job and you're the youngest head coach in America. How old were you? You're what, 30? 30. 30. Yep. So you're 30 years old. Um, the good news is you're in a state where everybody knew you, an area where everybody knew you, right? It's got to be really hard for those guys to, you're young and you go kind of out of your market, right? right. Everybody right. knew you at Marquette. Everybody knew you from growing up, knew you from being an assistant. Mm-hmm. It's not like you were handed the heat, keys to some kingdom you didn't earn. Right. Um, so having worked for those three guys, first order businesses, what staff or players? What, 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 what's the first order business when you get that job? Staff, staff number one, I got, I had to find guys that, um, I knew I can trust and I knew were hard workers, um, with good personalities. I think if you have those things, loyal, hardworking, smart too, you gotta have smart guys. And so that was my first order of business was get the staff together. So it was hard because it was like a two and a half month process, the interviewing process. So they, I had to go through the grind as a young assistant uh, to prove to Ken Butt off the AD that I was the right guy for the job. And there were a lot of guys that were interviewing for that job. Greg Gard, now Wisconsin, Porter Mosier, you know, was interviewing for that job. And it was a tough job. You know, Green Bay was a tough job in the Horizon League at the time. So I, I knew the inner workings of the city, the fundraising all the little details that I thought played to my advantage. And, and obviously a lot of this coaching business is timing and luck. And I had, I had a lot of that in that situation, but the two and a half months we lost players. Like I knew Todd was going to take some of our better returning players, went with him to Toledo. Uh, we graduated five seniors. So it was a complete rebuild other than one senior guard that we had back. That was good. Ramon Fletcher. So I had to not only get a staff right away, but I had to go recruit and, and bring in some players. And so that was um, that was a grind. It's always a grind when you take over a program and you have to build a roster and, and, and rebuild a program. And so we got on the road and we we brought in some players that I thought helped change the culture. We had, and Ramon was really good. We also had a guy, Bree Perrine, that was solid player, senior. So we had a couple players back, but we started three freshmen that first year and then kind of built from there. But the, a big game changer was Alec Brown a seven footer I got from Minnesota who ended up being a late bloomer and getting drafted in the NBA. And then um, obviously Kiefer Sykes um, was a huge player for me out of Chicago Marshall to get. And he took over and I handed him the ball as a freshman in year two. And and we kind of took off after that and had some great players. I mean, Greg Mays, we had Al McKinney who's been in the NBA, still in the NBA, Um, Carrington Love, Jordan Faust. I mean, we had some really good players that were, were fun to coach. Um, Okay, but but and, and it probably helped that you had a whole new roster. Yep. But now you're the head coach and you're 30. So you, you don't have to make the 18 inch move over. Like it, you know, you know, it's sometimes hard for an assistant coach to become the head coach. Like, no, now you have to pay attention to everything. I said, but you kind of got a new team outside of Vermont. Um, what was your plan? Like, who did you think you wanted to coach like? How would how were you in that first year in dealing with staff, in dealing with players? in dealing with administrators. Yeah. I mean, I tried to just be myself. I think that's what you'll always hear people say, be yourself. Um, and I tried to do that. I, you're never ready. It's like being a parent. You're not ready until you have a kid. I mean, you get a kid and you're like, Oh, I'm ready. I'm prepared to change diapers and do all. No, you're not. You're never ready until you have kids. 
and you're never ready to be sit that seat over until you get there. And then you learn um, how difficult it is and how many things come across your desk each day that you're not prepared for and you got to find solutions for. And so um, I just tried to be myself. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an intense competitor uh, by nature, a hard worker, a love loyalty. Um, and so I had to navigate through that first couple of years and it was, it was a learning experience. I mean, I learned a lot in that first two, three years, a ton. I'm still learning to this day, but like, I'll never forget, um, you know, I'd call Todd and be like, man, you made this look easy. This is not easy. Um, this is, this is tough, but I knew one thing I wanted to do with that program was we, we wanted to get better defensively and we wanted to get, you know, a little bit more athletic and try to beat people on the glass and defensively in that league. I thought that's what we could do to win it and get in contention every year. And and that's changing the identity. And it takes years to change an identity, but uh, we, we were able to do that and, and obviously win some championships and have a lot of success. Well, it, it's well documented, right? You had, a, you had at least one kid go and complain about you. And, um, you know, we're like nine years removed from it. Take me through that process. How do you, who comes and talks to you? How do you know you have an issue? How'd you deal with it? Well, I'll say this is um, there's always two sides to every story when those things break. And I think as a coach, it's hard because you can't tell your side. You just got to kind of sit there and, and take all the media blitz that sometimes can come with those situations. And you see it happen all the time. Um, but I, you know, I, I knew the truth. And so I kind of just, I knew who I was. I knew how we ran the program. Um, I knew that if they looked into this, that they're not going to find that these things were true. And, and that's eventually what happened. So it's not easy to go through. Uh, it was hard to go through uh, for my family and, and even for my players, because I had very close relationships with those guys and, and, and everyone around there. And, and we, we were having success too. So um, it was interesting. I think you learn a lot in those situations too. You learn how to be over communicate even with players uh, over communicate with parents and make sure everybody's on the same page. And um, as you run your program each year, so it was uh, always difficult to go through that. I, I wish it upon no one, but always know that you can't believe everything that you read. There's two sides, to every story and that the truth will always eventually come out. But, but it's gotta you know, be my, hard. It's gotta be hard to be you when you're like, I just want to be me. And like, I, even if you know you're doing the right thing, right. there's still that in the back of your mind, like, Somebody going to take this the right way, right? How right. do you, I, oh, I just, I'm yeah. wondering, even when you feel like I'm cleared, I'm good. You still want to coach in your way and not worry about parsing every word that you say. How do you, right. how'd you deal with that? Well, I think you just stay true to who you are. Um, demand, never demean. I have never done that. I've, you know, we've, we've been coached that way. I never wanted, yeah. to, or I've never done that never want to do that. And, so just still, you still got to demand, you still got to hold accountability. And I think those players coming back, we won the championship the following season and held up the trophy and beat Miami, Virginia. I mean, we had an unbelievable year following that. And that's because the players around me kind of told me, coach, be yourself, keep coaching us. It's, we're doing right things. We're, we're going in the right direction. We're going to keep winning. So please don't change who you are because of what people may be on the outside or, or, or the media may write up up about you because it's not true and, and you got to keep doing what you're doing. So that, I think that Doug probably gave me the most um, best feedback for me was just my players wanting me to coach the same and be demanding, have standards, high standards, hold them accountable. 
and we're going to go win if we do that. And that's exactly what we did. Um, why, why take the Bradley job? Oh, grew up watching Bradley. So eighties as a kid, that's when I dove into, you know, it was Michael Jordan came to the bowls. Bradley and Illinois state were really good in the eighties. Yeah. And so it was obviously Illinois, Illinois basketball was at its height at the late eighties. Um, and into the 90s and that all from college to nba with the bulls so i you know i would watch bradley play on tv play illinois state see that environment uh, as a senior i went down state and played at carver arena in peoria and i played an all-star game in peoria illinois so i started you know i had a connection with central illinois through going to the games as a kid and then going to peoria as a player and it was a, it was kind of a no brainer. I, I was fortunate and blessed enough out of Green Bay to have a couple other options. And once Bradley opened up and I saw Dr. Chris Reynolds got the job, um, that that was a place that I thought I could build a program and, and build something that could last and and hopefully have a good run in the Valley. I mean, the Missouri Valley, Doug, it's a it's it's a great basketball league, great cities, a lot of tradition. And I wanted to go see, you know, could we win? Um, can we go do something at Bradley? Can we get back to the tournament? Can we go win there? And uh, it's been a great run. I've really enjoyed it. You know, when, when you leave a place like Green Bay, where you had been for, it was nearly a decade, right? It was mm -hmm. about you know, six, seven years, right? You're mm -hmm. there as an assistant and as a head coach. Um, I think people think, and this is outside the basketball world, like you just like, hey, I'm just, I'm out. But, you, you know, you start a family there. You start your basketball coaching career there. You go through all the stuff, which I know I'm sure there's some negativity to what you had to go through there. On the other hand, like you said, you learn who your friends are, who had your back. So you obviously mm -hmm. have some really good friends there. Yeah. What's that like to pack up the U-Haul and to leave the first place to give you a head coaching job? That's hard. Really hard. I think you're hitting you're you're hitting on some things that people don't really maybe understand until you are a head coach and have to do it. I'd, I was there for 10 years, five as an assistant, five as a head. I had great relationships with a lot of people in the community. The Packers were great to us. Um, I had relationships with that organization. Uh, all three of my kids were born there. Maya now is 16, Emmy's 13, and Davin's 10. I mean, all three were born in Green Bay. Uh, my sister was, I mean, my wife was born in Wisconsin, so she was a huge Packer fan. So my whole house is Packer fans. Um, it was very hard. It was very hard. And it's and it's a it's kind of a myth out there, in my opinion, that coaches can just get up and bounce whenever they want. Right. And it's just like, oh, they want me and they're going to offer me that. I'm out. There's a lot of contingencies in your contract and things that are in your contract that make it tough for you to just leave for whenever you want and feel like. And that's not really the case. Like you said, family is a huge part of that. And um, but it was a, it was a time where we had a great five year run at Green Bay. Uh, a really good team coming back though. So that, that was really hard to leave was that roster coming back, ended up going to the NCAA tournament the next year. And it was a really good team and really good players left on that roster. So we knew we were going to be good at green Bay. And I knew going to Bradley was a total rebuild. It was going to be from the bottom up and it, we were going to take some punches our first couple of years. Uh, but for me, it was, you know, it was the right time for our family and I to make a move and our kids were young enough still um and uh 
I couldn't be happier. It was, we were closer to my family. My family's still in the Chicagoland area. So that played a little bit of a factor, but I really wanted to get to the Valley and I really wanted to see uh, if I could build another program and, and do it at another level higher. And, and that was a, the competitiveness in me and the challenge uh, really drove me uh, ultimately to take it, take it in a heartbeat. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Didn't Kiefer get hurt his last, yeah. like, in the championship game? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, if I'm, bring, I'm bringing up all the yeah, bad news. Yeah, you're like, Thanks, God. Like, like, I thought yeah. it was going to be a trip down memory lane. We're going <laughs> to bullshit and tell Mike no. Dean stories the whole time, no. right? No, So, okay, it's... so for people who don't remember, this is, this is my memory of it. Yeah. Um, it was the Horizon League championship game, I want to say. Yep. And Kiefer's the best player in the league, right? This is back when Butler was – was Butler still in the Horizon? They were, I believe they were still in the Horizon. They just left. So they we just left? We, we, it was actually in the semis. Semis. And it, it was in the final four, and we were the number one seed. We won. Where is, is it in Green Bay? It is in Green Bay. Okay. Um, and Kiefer – Sprains his ankle the first five minutes into the game. Bad. Tries to plan it. Struggles. Playing who? Playing against who? 
UWM, our, our rivals, Rob Jeter. Um, and I think we'd beaten him twice in the regular season. And Kiefer goes down. Alec Brown separates his shoulder too, like the game before. So our two best players. And that's why. Two NBA players, like, right? It's so hard. Two NBA yeah, players yeah. in the horizon. Yeah. And they're both hurt. It's so hard to get to the tournament in a one-bid league. And there is luck involved. And health is such a factor for all of us. But Kiefer tries to play, struggles. We lose in overtime by like two. We don't play very well. UWM goes on to win the next game. And that was crushing because then we end up going to the NIT and I didn't have either of those guys playing the NIT either. They were still injured. And so th that was a crushing year. And then we come back the next year, Alec Brown leave, you know, graduates that class graduates. And then we come back again and we finish what 15, three or something in Valpo and us, Bryce drew had great teams during that run too. And we finished that and we lost in a championship game the next year in the championship by like four. So the big question with me, like, could I win the big one? Could I get to the tournament as a coach? And so the good part about Bradley, we've been able to win our tournament twice and and get there. Now I want to win a regular season and, and get back and win games. I think that's where our program's at now. But it was uh, it was hard. It was hard losing those games and seeing your players get injured in those big moments. How are you different putting together a staff at Bradley as opposed to at Green Bay? Well, I think you just look at, for me, recruiting networks, recruiting bases, uh, coming down here in the Valley. Um, we're going to have to upgrade in, in some areas, especially on the front line uh, with players because the Valley is just a physically bigger, stronger league. Um, but also, you know, there were some coaches. I had more resources financially to, to go after some coaches uh, and get on my staff too. So, um, I, you know, Jimmy Foster has been with me a long time. He's a great coach. He's with me at Green Bay. He's with me still at Bradley. I was able to go get Mike Bargan, who played at Marquette, was an old teammate, but had great success as a head coach in the junior college ranks and tried to get him at Green Bay, but I just couldn't offer him enough money to bring him over. So I was able to get him. And then I had Drew Adams, who is now at Cincinnati, but Drew was a guy I've known and I knew he was tied in network and a great recruiter. So, um, I was able to bring those three guys and we had a long seven years together, longest tenure in the league besides Northern Iowa. So uh, that's big. Consistency and continuity on your staff is big for your players to see, but also to help your program grow. And And those guys have been influential. But that's the biggest thing is just finding, you know, some really good personalities and recruiters, but they all got to be smart and hardworking and loyal. I think that's the biggest three things for that I look for in a staff member. Um, you didn't leave this time when you finally made the tournament, right? We know how the, the business works, right? Even right. if like you make the tournament and somehow you're a genius, right? You guys make the tournament at Bradley. <laughs> Everybody sees you play on Arch Madness. First thing is, what's it like to, to do that, to accomplish that? Considering your college career, you guys didn't get to where you wanted to get to as a, uh, as a, um, as a coach at Green Bay, you hadn't gotten to the tournament. You finally get there and it's what there's a lot of tournaments you can win and they're all meaningful i would say arch yeah. madness is a little different in terms of level of meaning so you're in st louis you cut down the nets what do you remember it was huge i mean it was uh honestly i mean it was a little bit of a relief off my shoulders i mean for my career it's like i know i can do this i knew as a player i could accomplish this i knew as a coach i, I could do this it was just you had to have some timing some luck involved and and we had it that year. We were beat up a little bit that year and then got healthy and we just 
boom, we rode through February into that tournament and won it. And we were playing very well and we were healthy and had all our top guys on the floor and um, felt good and lost a close one to Michigan State in the tournament. But uh, great feeling. Uh, all the hard work kind of paid off building that program. So that first class we recruited to Bradley were seniors when we won that tournament. So just to see them get a chance to go to the end. So going from five wins, Doug, five. It was a hard year. Five wins to 13 wins to 20, 22, and see them go off was was really, really cool to be a part of and, and see those seniors smile on their families and how excited they were. And then you know, we were on a mission again the next year with a lot of guys back to do it again, and, and, and we were able to do that, and then COVID hit us. So that was another experience. Yeah, um, I want to get to that in a second, but you mentioned the five-win year, okay? How do you do it? How do you keep coming into work and keep <laughs> not, get, not get negative, not get to – you know how coaches get, like, when I get my guys in here, you know, or, you know, we'll get I – mean, five wins is yeah. hard. Honestly, I – um. If you ask my assistants that were with me, that might be my best coaching year we had. Yeah, no and, doubt. And just to get, we didn't finish last in the Valley. We did not. We were the youngest team in America, by far the youngest team in America. Started five freshmen. Um, we didn't finish last in the Valley. We played our best basketball in February and March. Like we won like three, three of the five games in the last three weeks of the season, which is unbelievable with how young we were playing eight freshmen. Um, I just think it was about the little things like our goals weren't about numbers. It was about, I want to be the best, most together bench uh, in the league. I want to see us sprinting to help each other up. It was all standards. It was all culture goals. It was, I want to see the bench standing and sprinting to help teammates off the floor. And we would watch film and grade that and show them, Hey, we're getting better. I wanted to be the best blockout team, like not even rebounding. Cause we knew we weren't going to out rebound Wichita state and some of these teams, we just wanted to block out at a high level. And by every, as the year went on, we just kept getting better and better and better. And you just show your team those goals and show them how you're getting better. And you don't get caught up in the results. And you talk about the process, the journey, you know, the quote unquote, what all coaches say. But it's true when you're rebuilding like that. You it, it's got you got to try to find ways to enjoy the journey. We would have some fun days. We would um, just kind of keep the guys working hard, but knowing that you are getting better don't worry about the result and by the end of the year i mean we were in every game with about five minutes to go and we either like i said we won some and then we lost some but we get we just kept getting better gradually and i think that year really set the tone because our standards were set to how we were in the locker room cleaning up how we were on the bus how we were in the hotels i mean all those things we really established even though we weren't winning games now you establish that you make the tournament you have all those guys that had had bought in and believed. And that also sends a good message to somebody who wants to hire you. Hey, here's a guy who wants to build a legit program. You know, right. your retention rate is high, which all of these all these athletic directors and presidents want. Why stay at Bradley when you could have left? Well, I just, I felt it was the right place for me and my family at the time. Um, and I love Chris Reynolds. My my athletic director and I have a very good relationship. I believe in his leadership. Um, the community of Peoria. I mean, Doug, I, I, you've probably been here at some point in your playing career, and they love basketball. So we were leading the league in attendance. We we built that back up. We our guys were doing great in the classroom. The university has been very supportive. So 
Um, and I felt like there's more to accomplish too. Like the competitive edge to me is there's more boxes to check. There's more things we have to do. And, and I wanted to do, and I thought we were starting to get more support back um, that was here in previous, you know, decades at Bradley and seeing those resources grow and, and get better, you know, get you as a coach to be excited to try to get back, uh, back in that office and, and get back to winning and, and trying to build the program up. But there is the fear of being stuck though, right? Right. I mean, it's happened at Bradley. I mean, I think every coach here has been fired. Every Jim, Jim Les played there, legend there, take him to the sweet 16 and ultimately gets fired. I mean, like ben Jacobson, he's, he's the longest tenure coach in the league. Done an amazing job. And I know like knowing Jake, I know that Jake would be like, look, I get to raise my family in one place. So I don't have to move around. Right. Uh, this right. is way more money than I ever thought I would make all, all this stuff. Like that sounds great, but you are in fact stuck. Like I'm sure you had other coaches be like, bro, you gotta get out. Right. Get oh out. yeah. There's no doubt. I think, you know, after year five, when we went back to back and then COVID hit, obviously yeah. COVID probably stalled some opportunities, but I, I'll tell you what, I've, that's that's something you talk about, Doug. I'm not going to lie. That's something you think about. That's something you talk to your agent about. And you don't want to get stale. You don't want. And, and I think people at Bradley don't want to be viewed as that job that, you know, you get stuck at and can't get out. Jim Molinari had a hell of a hell of a run here. Well, uh, you know, my yeah. dad's like, oh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. So it's, it's, it's always in the, you know, it's something you got to, in the coaching business, you got to be aware of, but honestly, if you just take it one day at a time and one week at a time, try not to get wrapped into that in, in my competitiveness and what I want to do and try to take us to another level is is really what drives me every day. And and hopefully we can do that. Um, How do you find the balance with your family? Uh, You have a great wife, first off, support, support with her. Um, she's former athlete, soccer player, so she she gets the student athlete experience and the work that needs to be put in. Uh, I think it's important, though. I mean, my staff, I don't want them here all night at all. Uh, I think the better father you are, the better husband you are, the better coach you are. And I think it's great for your players to see you in that light. So my players see me as a father and husband all the time because my girls both play basketball and they're over here shooting or working out. And my son does, too. And so. I think they get a chance to see me as a husband and as a father, and that is a very, very positive thing, in my opinion, with these younger generation, especially. So, uh, helps all of us. My staff all has kids, and they know. I, you know, I, I think the work environment is very healthy to be a father and a coach here, and and we're always battling it. Though, I mean, we always have moments of, you know, we probably should not be working this much, but I think if you can take Sundays off, I really do try to take Sundays off. Um, and be with my family and watch football and relax. Um, and I try to get to my kids' events because I think that all makes us better as coaches. So we make it a priority here. Um, you mentioned COVID. What was COVID like in Peoria, Illinois? <laughs> it was, oh, uh, it wasn't coaching that year, it was managing. And it was, it was tough. It was tough because everybody kind of <laughs> was going through their own. Um, so wait, wait when, it, when, it, when it hits, when it hits, you guys were where you guys yeah. had finished the conference tournament, right? Yeah, we just won the Arch Madness again, and right. we this is my best team. <clears throat> right, twenty four wins, we're rolling again. Got really good players, and literally, we're practicing on Wednesday after practice. We find out NCAA we're shut down, COVID, 
and it was shocking. It was it was like a roller coaster of emotions. I really it was awful. For now, did you know? Did, did you have any sense something was coming? Because I will tell you, I've, I've told the story a couple of times that I was I was filling in on TV at Fox yeah. for Cowher, and like two days before, I had said like, "Hey, we have like a you have like a three a, a meeting like three hours, two and a half hours for the show." And I was like, "Hey, do we want to talk about this COVID thing?" Like, they're like, "Not a sports story." I'm like, okay. And then I remember <laughs> like that day I was driving home and I was talking to a buddy because I was getting ready to do the Big Ten tournament. Right. And I was flying out like after the Wednesday show or something. <laughs> and it was Tuesday. It was the Tuesday was with the Rudy Gobert thing. So <clears throat> I remember driving home. They're like, my buddy was like, dude, I don't know if the NCAA tournament's happening. It's like, come on, man. Like we've been around this enough. Like yeah. it would take it would take something otherworldly to stop like that machine. Right. Like you're, they'll be fine. I'm like, you sure? Like, yeah, these things are bad, but I don't think it's, it's not bad yet. Okay. So then the next day, like I'm literally going out to, I remember having this conversation. Like, I think we should talk about this today. I think it's going to affect sports. Like not talk to the the bosses. People don't want to hear it's bad, bad stories. Just keep it positive. Keep it sports. That night was Rudy Gobert. I'm driving to the airport the next day. Literally bags packed, going LAX, LAX to, I don't know, it was, I think it was in uh, Chicago that year. Maybe it was in Indy and I get a call, turn around, go home. Yeah. And, um, so you're, you get, you're at practice when they cancel it. Right after practice. Yeah. They came to me and tells you, or did you get it? Our our SID comes in and goes, Hey, the NCAA tournament is getting canceled. He's like, I just need you to know. So your guys don't find out on social media and stuff. And I'm like, what you know the ball dropped it was um that was difficult man it was it was because we we worked so hard after losing to michigan state that like that whole mission of that team was to get back and win games we wanted to get back there and um it crushed us pretty good but i just remember like having to tell the team and how everyone you know tears crying and and it was so upsetting for everyone there um and then I remember laying in, like in my bed at that night, looking at my wife going, did this really just happen? Like, are we really not playing this NCAA tournament and no selection Sunday? And we're just sitting there going, yeah, it sure sounds like it is. I, you know, I still had hope, Doug, like, hey, maybe in a month or two, we'll figure out how to have the tournament or we'll have it in May or, or I mean, not May, yeah, May or June. There were some rumors going around about all that. Um, it was just amazing that it actually went down and the tournament never happened. And I still feel awful for those seniors. I mean, all the seniors and all the all the student athletes across the country that worked to get to that tournament and, and get back to their tournaments and, and compete. It was just it was gut wrenching for a while. So, what did you what did you do when everything when the world was shut down? What were you doing? Oh, just oh, best true story. They took down the rims at our park, basketball rims. Yeah, so my, my kids were like. Dad, we have nowhere to shoot. And my front yard driveway is sloped too much yeah. to put like a hoop on. I called a concrete guy I knew who's a big supporter of ours and said, is there any chance you could put a half court in my backyard during COVID? <laughs> so he, I, I had him come over. He marked it off and we put a little hoop in a court in my backyard so my kids could shoot and play. And, and we ended up starting to have the whole neighborhood over playing two on two and three on three. Kind of brought back memories. So that was fun. You know, it's it's like I don't I don't want the world to completely shut down, but there was 
there was a lot of good stuff that happened there, right? Like you don't have anything oh, yeah. to do, no reason to not just have conversations with your kids, you right. know? And I don't, I don't want several month long shutdown, but it would be cool if we could find a way like, Hey, let's just have a week where everybody has to stay home, put the phones away, yep. put the phones away, no sports on TV. And let's kind of reconnect with everybody. You know, you're like, Hey, I kind of like my neighbors again. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think we did more family. Like we were watching series together, like TV sure. series as a family in the basement, playing more board games and games. Cause we're all home. Um, no, there, I think you're spot on. There's positives in everything. If you look at glass half full and, and there were definitely some really cool family connections that we had. And we drove down to Florida pretty quick, not too quick, but we, we got to Florida to see my wife's family. All, all of them live down in Florida. So, um, that was cool to just connect with family too and, and see family. Um, during that. Can you mention how much you like the state college basketballs in? I think a lot of people would disagree with you. Mm-hmm. My question is what you've been able, what you were able to do last time you built it, right? We start with freshmen, keep them and then build a, a league champion, right? That's, can you still do that now with the portal and with all these other factors? Not right now. Um, I like the I like the state of coaching a lot of where we're going with coaching in in college basketball. But meaning what? What meaning what? Like, well, I would just say that the the style of coaching that's you know with these kids that they want the one on one attention, the talking, the um, um, just how we go about you know dealing with certain issues and, and talking to them and practice length and intensity and days off. I, I think everything we have for the players is, is, is a lot healthier um, in a lot of ways. The NIL, I think, is a positive thing. I think they're personally, they're, if they get a, get a few more regulations in it, it can make it even better. Um, but the portal is the big one, Doug, like you're saying, and, and that has changed the game. There's no doubt. Last two years is totally different than any years I've ever had as a player and as a coach. You just got to find ways to navigate it and make the best of the situation. You can't complain about it. You got to adapt. And um, we've just tried to find our kind of find a rhythm and how to recruit the portal and how we want to recruit a, a roster every year because you don't know how many scholarships you're going to have, especially at our level, the mid-major, mid-major plus level. You just don't know. So you got to plan, you know, to, you know, four or five guys, like recruit a starting five every year and, and well, kind but, of see but, what but happens. There's, like, there's, there's two different levels to it, right? There's the, the first level to it is, is you're trying to recruit a team. You don't know who you're going to play, right. but also do you, are you able to recruit guys and, and get guys to commit who are maybe above your level because the high majors are waiting on the portal kids? We have, we haven't yet been able to snag those kids, but I think we will be able to, We've, we're trying, um, and then you you might lose them in a year or two if you develop them right. Um, but I would rather get them into Bradley and show them our family atmosphere, our facilities, our resources, and hope that they would want to stick it out for four years. But it is different. Um, it's not like our day when seniors, four seniors graduated, you lost a five-man and a point guard and a shooting guard, and you just replaced those three spots with freshmen, point guard, shooting guard, five-man, and then you develop them and, and, and get them to be playing as juniors and seniors. So it's definitely different. In the sense of you got to recruit junior college, you got to recruit, uh, you know, prep schools international. We've had a lot of success internationally here at Bradley too, and so it's 
it has changed the game and, and you have to recruit all positions all year round and anticipate signing a, pretty much a team in the spring. So spring signing period has is more important now than fall where it used to be you wanted to sign in November and get your right. get everyone signed in the fall. I have I've had two official visits this fall. That's it, two total. And if we don't get one of those kids, I'm fine with going into the spring and signing guys uh, because that's kind of what has changed. Uh, the portal has changed that dynamic of when when you want to sign and when you don't, especially at our level. So it's really it's crazy, right? Like you'd go mm -hmm. into a spring without anybody there, whereas just go back before this all before COVID. If you would have been coaching in the Valley and I open up your notes and there's nobody in your, in your signing class, your recruiting class to tout, everyone would be like, Oh, he's, he's out. You yeah. Know. What is he doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you guys, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? Right. So it's, it, it completely throws off your rhythm, right? In terms of everything you know and done for your professional life for 20 years right. has dramatically dramatically changed over the past two years no it has and and it's it's where you have to adapt as a coach you can't get set in your old ways you got to develop new ways of doing things and you know the covid fifth year that everyone got to for four classes that right. changed too that changed yeah. the game too and so when that runs out when that's done which is coming soon i think that could maybe settle it down a little bit hopefully and, and I hope because it is hurting high school recruitment. It's hurting high school kids. I feel for high school kids right now because they're just not getting recruited like they used to uh, on the boys and girls side. And so uh, we just recruit year round. We recruit all positions. We're, we're, we're on our junior college kids. We're on, you know, we don't look into, hey, who's going to have a big year D2 that we could go pluck? We we don't really get into that at all. That's something we'd probably do more towards February and March saying, all right, maybe you try to project who might transfer because you can't call on any kids. You can't do any of that. But it's like it's a it's a different ball game. So when March hits, you got to be ready to hit the road running and be out every night recruiting because it's it's a it's a dogfight once that uh, once March hits in April. I've had people tell me they've adjusted, like you got to look at the length of time and handshake lines, right? <laughs> <laughs> that it used to be like just all blow bys, blow by, blow bys. Then mm. the coaches, you know, shake hands. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, where's hey. your mom at? Is your mom? Oh, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Right? It's funny. I know head coaches that now want to go in the back of the line. Yes, so they can watch. Yes, no, what I the had other head coaches coach do with like, their players. I used to always be the first guy. Now I'm the last guy. Yeah. We, we strategically put the assistants, they shake hands with certain guys, right? <laughs> like this is a real thing. Oh, it's cutthroat. It is. Um, yeah, we, I think it, I think everything goes in cycles and I think it will settle down. I hope not right now, not these, these coming years, but I, I hope it, the portal settles down. Cause there's a, cause the one thing you do know factually, and we, we've been presented at our head coaches meeting said the portal does not help graduation rates at all. You know, kids, kids are not graduating at all on time and most of them aren't now because it's hard because those credits don't transfer to get right. credits into bradley is really hard so like i'll take a transcript and i'll be like hey sorry 18 of your credits aren't coming in here and they're like what so like it it's hard for us to recruit the portal because of that too our standards are very high here academically so i hope it settles down just so that these kids can get their degrees on time and we don't have so many kids left out 
in the gray. A lot of them left this full ride and don't now don't have a full ride. And I think that's a that's a huge adjustment for a lot of these kids that need support and help to get that education and, and, and get on a team. No, I, I agree. We, we, we just completely diminished it um, and made it, tried to sort of semi-professionalize this thing. And it's right. just not, it's not what it's, it's wired for. Does name image and likeness, does it play a part at all in the Valley? I think it, it does a little bit right now um, of definitely retaining players. Uh, you know, I lost a point guard last year to Georgia. You know, my, my all Valley guy, Terry Roberts, great kid, love him to death. Still love him today. Can't compete with Georgia. Um, I think if we can get good NIL deals for it's funny because they lost their point guard to Kentucky, right? Like right, it's a right, right. And yeah, then, just like, and then he's like, normally like you go and get yeah. somebody else's point guard. It's a cycle. Yeah, it's a, it's a cycle. Um, but I think I, hopefully it can help retain players. We have an NIL, uh, group here that was formed that is uh, helping support our players and student athletes. And, and hopefully that can help retain our guys because the goal, I mean, you don't want to lose number one and two on your roster. If you can retain three through 10 and you, you know, you only have three or four transfers coming in, that's doable. You can keep your culture, you can keep your standards and, and you can keep, I think a high level of play. When you start getting five to six to seven to eight transfers in, and you got to redo a whole roster. Now you can struggle especially in the Valley. And, you know, hopefully these NIL groups can help us keep number one and two around longer, or at least three through 10 on the roster as long as possible. So the things you never thought you'd be dealing with, right? No, I know. I know. I, know. <laughs> I love when number 10's like, hey, I need some NIL. Like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? what? <laughs> excuse me? Oh, it happens too. It I, happens. I, I know it. Ha- I know it. I know it happens. Um, okay. couple quick ones. Yep. Favorite place to play in the Valley? You can't say your own gym. Oh, Redbird Arena is a lot of fun just because Illinois State and Bradley tradition and rivalry. Well, normal Illinois. How far a drive is that? About 45 minutes. Awesome. War on 74, cross Highway 74. <laughs> um, least favorite place to play in the Valley? Valparaiso. I don't at Valparaiso. If I had some tough losses there and, and, and at Green Bay. So don't like, don't like, Called the game. Ark, right? And called the Ark, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually, that's where I first met Brad Stevens. It was his first year coaching. I was doing their yep. game against Valpo, and I remember yep. like they got done with shoot around, and he's like, "You want to go? You want to go grab lunch?" And I was like, "Yeah." And we started talking. I'm like, "This guy's amazing." And, <laughs> smart guy, and, uh, yeah, like, uh, just smart guy, nice guy, whatever. If you would have told me he played for two national championships. I'd be like, "No, no way, not yeah, at Butler, no, right. no chance." Um, Favre or Aaron Rodgers? Oh man! Well, I'm a Bears fan, but my my no, family, I know I'm t- I know my wife do. would say my wife would say Favre, and yes. my three kids will say Aaron Rodgers. Um, how great was it as a Chicago guy during COVID to watch uh, the Last Dance and like That's, just oh that I should have remembered that was the highlight of like family time. We're yes. a whole family. I made my family all sit and watch Last Dance together. We get popcorn, yes, and we sat there, and that was, Doug, it was unbelievable. It was probably the best experience of COVID was watching every episode of the Last Dance. Right, and I remember all. I remember you waited for the next one. You wait. It was like I remember. I remember my first year of playing. I was in Russia, and yeah. it was when uh, was when Survivor was for Survivor's first season, 
<laughs> and we'd yeah. get we'd get weekly we'd get a survivor tape in the mail. Right. And we'd only we'd sometimes watch an episode, sometimes we'd just watch like two segments and they're like, that's all we're watching tonight, right? Like because that's all you all, all you get. But that was what the last dance was like. You're actually waiting on the next show. Like, man, I can't wait for the next episode. Can't wait for next Sunday. Gave you something yeah. to look forward to. But also as a guy, I'm sure you grew up, I'm a, you're a Jordan guy. I'm a Jordan guy, right? Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. just want to tell your kids, you're like, see, told you. Yeah, this is this is why he won. It's this is Kobe. This is kind of how Kobe was. And sure. it was, um, it's a different mentality. So it's good for young kids. I thought it was great for my... I typed up last dance notes, Doug, and sent them to my team. Like lessons learned in, in episode one, lessons learned in episode two, lessons learned in episode three, because it was lessons that we kind of preach as coaches that are considered throwback now, just how Jordan held his teammates accountable and how demanding he was and competitive everything was. And, um, you know, I always say to be a great teammate, you got to, um, you know, set the, you know, set the standard, set the example, but also you have to hold your teammates accountable and it was a great lesson there and with when you're dealing with a generation that loves to be liked and clicked liked and loved um it was really cool to watch and the lessons in it was really good it was really 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 good yeah um okay is justin fields the guy to rescue your bears <laughs> i hope i'm uh you know we have group group texts with the family members and um huge bears fan i grew up walter payton jersey on my back jim mcmahon um I hope he is. I hope he is. I'm, I'm rooting for him. I know that because we need a quarterback. Bears need a quarterback, as everyone knows. We Bears have always league. Bears, Bears have literally yeah. needed a quarterback their entire existence. I always joke with people. Our last really good quarterback was Eric Kramer's season. No one remembers the Eric Kramer season. <laughs> like that, he said, I think he has a yardage and touchdown record. Eric Kramer one year. He was a Pro Bowler, I think that year. But uh, that, we've had a long tradition of not having great QBs. So I'm hoping Fields can start slinging that thing a little bit and, and figure this whole thing out. The best game you ever played. Mm. I, I, it wasn't the best game I played, but it was the, it was, I made at since I, I'll always remember we beat, we swept Cincinnati my senior year, first team to ever sweep Bobby Huggins ever in the conference USA era when, since he was there and they were always top five every year I was in college. We swept in my senior year. I made three free throws in overtime. I got fouled on a three. Um, might have been a flop, maybe not a flop. We don't know. That's up for debate. But um, I made three free throws in a row to win that game in overtime. Not with like, I don't know, under a minute to go to seal the game. And I just remember that feeling of finally getting Cincy twice after getting beat by them and them dominate the league for so long. So that that was a that was a good moment. Plus they were a team they were a team that they would win some games in layup lines, right? Like they come out oh. and they just look like badasses. Yeah, right? you had like and Art and Long and Bobby Brandon who punches horses and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Art Long punched the horse. Art Long punched the police horse. What is the horse punched the police horse? They were legendary stories about these guys. Yes. Um and they were. I mean if you weren't intimidated, but we were pretty Marquette, we were big. We were big team, strong yeah. team. So like they could, they would physically out tough you and intimidate you from the jump, from the jump. And Kenyon Martin was monster. I mean, yeah. just a monster in college. So it was fun. It was fun competing against them, though. In ten years, where will Brian Wardle be? Oh man, hopefully coaching at my last spot and retiring very soon to, uh, so I can see my kids play and 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 
grow up. I'm not one of those coaches that wants to coach to 70 at all or 60. I, I, I pray I can coach. Uh, if I can coach another decade, that'd be great. And then maybe um, hopefully just at my last spot and then maybe get into some radio or TV and do some basketball stuff. Doug. Got good pipes. Got good pipes. <laughs> Always had good pipes. We'll Always see. had good pipes. We'll see. Um, the best, the, the coach that you go against, that is, he's the best coach you go against and people maybe don't realize it or understand it because he's in the Valley or he's in the horizon. Give me somebody who you really respect. You know, I'd be friends with him. Just you respect what he does now. He does it. Well, Porter and I are good friends and and we can, we competed when I was at green Bay, when he was at Loyola in the horizon league, and then to see what he did with the Loyola program and how well they, he had them playing. I, I respected them a great deal. Um, but Ben Jacobson, I mean, I just respect longevity and consistency. I think consistency and sustaining a program is so hard to do, so hard at any level. And to see him do it, especially at the mid-major level at Northern Iowa, that's impressive to me. And that he can be at one place that long. And and they may not win it every year, but they're every third, fourth year, man, they're contending for something big. And, um, and that's something that uh, I, I greatly respect. Um. Uh, okay, last thing. If you're a college player like yourself, okay, and you want to be a coach, what if you could tell, like, you could tell your younger self this in preparing for this journey? Mm-hmm. If you could tell somebody who's similar, really good college, hell of a college player, right? I right. mean, um, if you could tell yourself this, it would really help you. The players are not you, they're not you. Um, they're them that you, you, how you trained, how you work, your mentality is not going to be like every player that you coach at all. Most of them won't be, and don't expect it to be. So, um, and really they don't care about your playing career that much. <laughs> You're old and, um, you can throw some things at yeah, them here, there to get yes, them. To, but yes now, and no, say, yes and no. Like, this, like, 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 you, you've had you this. I, I guarantee this you've had this. I guarantee you've had this, right? And I, I had this experience recently where there's a guy we we're talking about coaching whatever and then he hopped in this was an au and he hopped in layup lines with his kids and i watched him and i'm like well that guy's never played basketball before right <laughs> whereas like if you you know you come off a screen and you get your feet set and you catch it and you lace right. it and you stripe it and people are like oh and then they look like oh he's the third all-time leading scorer at marquette like it's it I understand yeah. you don't call on because they don't know the teams. They don't know right. none of that shit resonates to them. You're just those are just word salad to them. But there is something to having not only played but been a you were a hooper, right? You were a bucket. So it's a little different in terms of do they really care? No, but there is a respect factor to yeah. who you who you were as a player. I, I would agree. Um, I probably should reward it, especially nowadays. Like my staff came to me a couple of years ago and they're like, you need to talk about your playing career more because these younger guys like that. They want to know it, okay. like, exactly kind of what you're saying. Where at first when I was younger coach, I didn't want to talk about it because I was probably still too close to it. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm older, I, I, I've been talking about it maybe a little bit more the last year or two than ever before because this younger generation, I'm old enough where they have no idea that I played, you know, or could play. Right. So times have changed there. I would say. Um, yeah, you are right there, but I would say just because you played doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach just because you played no question doesn't mean, you know, 
that you're going to be able to get to this young man or motivate this young man. So you have to understand that these young people are all different than you. And you got to, you got to adapt a little bit. You got to have standards that you don't adapt on or, or change, but there are things motivationally and how you talk to kids that you have to do differently. And, um, I would say that's in, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, take those intangibles that you had as a player that made you the player you were and try to use those towards your coaching career, like chip on the shoulder, calm under pressure, um, pre preparation, you know, those things that I, I had as a player, I tried to bring to my coaching career um, that, could, that, that could maybe help me. But the biggest thing is that these young men are not you. Don't expect them to be. Don't, don't think you're going to recruit, you know, guys. And I tell a lot of young coaches that they get jobs because they do, you know, I talk to a lot of them and they say, what'd you do at 30? I said, well, I'll tell you what I didn't do right. And hopefully you could take that and it can help you. Like what? Give me one thing you did wrong. Oh, you, you just recruit players that are, were like you. Yeah. Or um, you try and get all six, five tough ass white dudes from the Midwest that want to score. And like, <laughs> yeah. hey, that's or, really or some it's, and it's just not reality. Or you, you have a million ideas and, and you try to no, it's, it's why, it's why so many of the great, so why so many of the great yeah. players are great coaches because their expectations right. are to have same level right. of work ethic and intensity that right. they have. And they, and, and they just don't, and you have to teach them that. And, you know, you say yes to everything. You have a million ideas. You want to be involved in ticketing. You want to be involved in marketing. And, and that's my advice. Just coach your team, get your program, right? Set your standards, set your identity, let other people do their jobs. Like don't get involved in everything because it can consume you and it takes up too much time. Awesome advice. Hey, so, you've been more than gracious with your time. I know you got to go. No, and thanks Doug. Uh, it was awesome, man. Great catching up. Ne Thank next you. one we're doing in person. All right. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Doug. Well, I really like Brian. I think he's a fantastic coach, an even better guy, and really gets gets the college student athlete in 2022. Uh, make sure you follow him on social media and tell him how how amazing he is. Really, really, really good. Um, remind the Doug Gottlieb show is daily, three to six, three to five Eastern. Then we drop a uh, live pod at five o'clock on the iHeartRadio app. It's called In the Bonus. So basically, it's the radio show, only completely uncensored, a little bit wild. We have a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Three six five. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets when you bet just five dollars. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet three six five. Twenty one plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one eight hundred Gambler. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.